five, two, three, four, and we are live. Hello, YouTube. Uh, it says we are live now. I am here with Jeffrey Augustine, and before we uh, get into anything really deep and serious, I want to make sure that we can be heard. It looks like we can. I'm seeing us on the screen here. So uh, I would just like some commenter out there to give me a thumbs up on us having some uh, sound and we're not having any issues with that. That's always the bugbear with the live streams for me. Uh, I did not forget to press the go button, Flint. <laughs> uh, hey, from the west suburbs of Chicago, here we are. Yay, yay, yay. All right. Yeah, Flint's picking us up. All right. I th I'm going to assume we're good to go. Good. Hello, and Flint. Hello, Chicago, LA, Clearwater. That's right. <laughs> London. <laughs> And, uh, and I just want to say to everybody also that uh, my lovely wife, Melissa, who is uh, I'm Melissa. in the window there, yeah. you got to come down. Oh, she looks down. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, she, uh, yeah, she, you'll, you'll get in there. Anyway, she yeah. is doing moderation duties for me, so I don't have to Very pay good. total attention to the, uh, to the chat and everything. Everything's looking good. All right, let's get started. Okay, Jeff, let's welcome go. to the Sensibly Speaking podcast. <laughs> Great to be on, Chris. Live, as always, as always, live too. <laughs> All right, so we are gonna talk Grant Cardone. Um, we are. We did not really do an outline. Jeff has a lot of things no. prepared. I've got a few things prepared. We're gonna cover some interesting territory, Jeff. I think we should just get into it. Well, first, let's before we talk about Uncle G. Yeah, he's styling himself these days. Uncle G, right. shout out to you if you're watching. Hope your Uncle G, Grant Cardone, is in quarantine at Flagland Base, Clearwater, Florida. That's right. There's a, uh, from my sources, tell me when Publix arrive at the base, they're now 14-day quarantined, and he's in a villa with his youngest and uh, his lovely yeah. wife. Somebody Elena else actually verified one, that yeah. for me yesterday as yeah. well. Well, yeah, Elena's wife is uh, uh, with their other daughters at home in their $7.5 million luxury condo in Miami, which Jesus you're not man. supposed to own houses. Yeah, if Grant Cardone, Grant Cardone, you're supposed to only rent, right? Well, yeah, but he uses a credit card. Hey, I want to start off with just kind of something lighthearted before we get into Uncle G. Yeah. And his financial model. Yeah. I, uh, I, I did this parody on my humor blog. Okay. Ah, so David Miscavige seeks $5 billion in federal bailout money for the Church of Scientology, right? Yep, yep. Now, what I did is I gave, uh, on my OT is Great Humor blog, I gave David Miscavige uh, Donald Trump hair because I think the uh, Pompadour is outdated. I saw that, yes. Yeah, I like <laughs> I it. I thought that was great. <laughs> I like him with Trump hair. The uh, The Pompadour he has is like, like a bad 1970s lounge singer. Yes. You know? Hey, yes. <laughs> I um, thought that was a great shoot. I really, I laughed then, out loud when I saw that. Oh, thank you. Now the uh, now, but then an article from uh, NPR says another break from the past. Government will help churches pay pastors' salaries. So I'm outraged um, for for two reasons: churches do not pay taxes. Yep. And they don't want to be governed. They want to be. They don't want to be governed by our law. So when there's cases like Danny Masterson rape. Luis Garcia financial fraud, these kind of allegations, they want yep. you to submit to their binding arbitration. But when it comes to taking taxpayer dollars back, they want everything they can get, even though they don't pay any taxes. 
Now, right. to my to, to my religious friends, my Christian friends, um, I've had this debate before, and I'm not an atheist by any means. Um, one thing that I've often had Christians say to me is, nowhere in the U.S. Constitution does it mention the term separation of church and state. Correct. But I say to them, nowhere in the Bible does it mention the word Trinity. It's not there. It's not there. So they go, well, you can infer it from Exodus 3.14 and John 8.58. Yes, and you can infer the separation of church and state from the Federalist Papers, U.S. Constitution, on and on. So that's all I'm saying is sometimes humor uh, uh, art imitates life or life imitates art. So yep. I did this thing and a lot of people on uh, Facebook read it and they, they just read the headline without, and I put satire above it, but they, because it's like saying, so this other one, um, I'm hoping it's prophetic. My previous column. Chinese government arrests Scientology leader, David Miscavige. That would so, be kind of awesome. Look at that. <laughs> Dave in handcuffs. That's right. Uh, oh, just one other bit of housekeeping before we start. I've been covering uh, the Scientology-owned GPB Capital Holdings out of New York City. Um, they were uh, raided by the FBI. They call a raid an execution of a search warrant. So they're mm -hmm. trash hauling company, their headquarters, f February 2019. FBI showed up. My sources tell me that David Gentile, Scientologist, is secluded in Oregon, in a remote part of Oregon where he owns a very nice house with his family. So he left New York, Long Island, uh, to write out the um, quarantine. So he, this quarantine has been good for one Scientology uh, guy we're watching because it's taken the media off him. But David, we know we're following GPB Capital, just to be warned. Um, we're watching you. Now, yes. going to, uh, now going into the main matter, Uncle G, Grant Cardone. Yes, yes. And let me say um, now that a couple things on this. We're going to talk about Grant. We're going to talk about his current situation, his methodologies, what he does, how he does it. Grant Cardone is of interest to me, uh, one, because I met the guy. Uh, years and years and years ago, back in the uh, early 2000s, actually, because he's a Scientologist. And I was a Scientologist. I was a Sea Org member, and I was actually servicing him uh, when he was doing his Scientology services. And he, um, he, this is, I think, shortly after, just shortly after he had met uh, Elena, his current wife, and all that. And I wasn't particularly impressed by him. He seemed like a bit of a, you know, even for the world of Scientology, he seemed pretty full of himself pretty arrogant. And Scientology is something I've written, you know, kind of creates a narcissistic headspace. So it was sort of a meeting of the minds with him coming on board Scientology. <laughs> Very similar to Tom Cruise in some ways, you know, he has that kind of like go-getter attitude. And he's like that in real life. And I, as a Sea Org member, somebody, I gotta get this, I, 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 <laughs> I'm working 24-7, right? I am working my ass off as a Sea Org member. There is, a, there is yeah. nothing else I've ever done that even comes close. And this guy would tire me out. Like, I would just be like, Jesus, <laughs> dude, bring it down a level, you know? He was always like this. And, you, and, and, and even in the Scientology world, I could recognize the artificiality of it. 
it's like this created sort of you know thing and it's just so much overcompensation i didn't really put a whole lot more attention on the guy you know we we serviced him and all that came out of scientology find out he's doing this sales guru thing and i was like really (laughs) and i you know i just kind of thought about it all right fine And I wanted to talk about this from the Scientology point of view, of course, because Grant has put himself out there as a Scientologist, has has, uh, promoted Scientology, endorsed it uh, directly. And I got something to say about that, right? I got all kinds of things to say about it. So that's why when the opportunity presented itself for us to do this podcast, I thought, perfect. You know, Jeff and I have talked in the past about Grant, about other financial matters, David Gentile, et cetera, and how the church gets mixed up in this stuff and how Scientologists tend to go in some pretty crazy directions sometimes, which I think Grant's done. And so that's my contribution to this uh, to this conversation is I'll be interjecting from time to time with, oh, that's Scientology this or that's Scientology that or something. So we can connect those dots in an informed way. Um, I'm not trying to kick somebody when they're down. I'm trying to, because some somebody came in and commented about that already, and I thought, ah, eh, it's not really what this is about. This is about let's be, let's do full disclosure. If if Grant's going to talk about stuff and 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 lie about Scientology and endorse it in a direction that you know gives people a completely false picture of it, then I am perfectly happy to contribute to um, showing that 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 what he is saying is not true, and uh, that's. You know, that's where I'm coming sure. from. So I okay. just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And, and to uh, clarify for myself, I started my blog, The Scientology Money Project. It's a dedicated news site investigating Scientology money, crime, lies, and legal matters. So because I cover Scientology and Scientologists, Grant Cardone is naturally on my radar. I follow Scientologists and their financial doings. And um, so... It, in a nutshell, let's let's look at Grant's main vehicle as Cardone Capital. Mm-hmm. For for people out there, Grant Cardone raises money from from two types of people: qualified investors. That means you have over hundred thousand to invest, and your net worth's over a million dollars. And that's Regulation D private equity. That just means you don't. It's not like a stock. It's meaning you're you're investing money with a private equity, right. and. Um, then he raises money for money calls crowdsourcing, which is actually regulation A. These are not sophisticated investors. Some of them are, but they don't have the net worth that it takes to be a qualified investor. So Grant, Grant Cardone, Sir Cardone Capital, at present, and I'm printing this off, um, he says he has $1.7 billion under management with 7,722 apartments. Okay, that's, his, that's what he's got out there. Yeah. Now those numbers are important to keep in mind for the number crunching we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Now Grant has been on social media during his uh, lockup at I'm sorry quarantine. It's going to say introspection rundown during his lockup at Flag. Right. Right. Which which may come later if he uh, goes type three. But I digress. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Actually, let me clarify a couple of things because we yeah. I I believe we have people who are watching who are not familiar with our work or my background or Scientology. So let me clarify as we go. 
Uh, Clearwater, Florida is the international home of the Church of Scientology and it, the, the site of its largest service facility. Scientology is pretty much like a business. It's not like a religion. It's more like a business in that they offer classes and they offer individual counseling services, which they call auditing. The biggest, most expensive, most high-level services that Scientology offers are in Clearwater, and that's why Grant is there and under the 14-day quarantine rule. Yeah, and, and part of what we wanted to do on the show, Chris and I, is show that Grant Cardone is operating as a Scientologist from Scientology principles. It's no yep. secret that he's a Scientologist, but there's more Scientology here than you think, than you think. So going back to this number, uh, 7,722 apartments, he, he ups it to 8,000. Okay. But, but here's what Grant does is he buys, uh, he, he raises money from private investors, puts in a little bit of his own, puts a down payment on, um, say a $60 million, $100 million apartment complex. So Grant has been on social media and he said a lot of things that are interesting. He said, one, he owes a billion dollars to Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, the banks, credit unions. I think it's more. I think the number's more. My guess is 1.4 billion, but we'll take Grant at his word, 1, 1 billion. And he says that he pay, and the reason I think the number's higher is he says he pays four and a half million dollars a month in interest. Now, what Grant said in a vi recent video is that he um, takes 10-year loans. The first five years are interest only. And uh, after that, it kicks into principal and interest. Okay. So this, this gets to be really important. Um, give an example of an interest only loan. Let's say you borrow $100,000, mm -hmm. okay? and you, you borrow it at 5% interest. I'm looking at my calculator here. You're going to be paying um, basically 5000 a year, right? In interest. 5% mm -hmm. on 100000 is $5,000 interest. Right, five times now, yeah, per year, yeah. Yeah, and you, yeah, but yeah. you're going to divide that monthly. Your payment will be $416, right? Interest only. Now, what Grant's doing is what we call, a, uh, what the industry calls a balloon payment. So he's, he's going to pay interest only, the minimum amount he can pay to service that billion dollar mortgage is four and a half million dollars a month. Now, this number here, I added this. Grant says he has $1.7 billion, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Assets under management which presumably that would mean he has 700 million in equity. I don't know if that number is true either. But okay. at, at this number, 7,722 apartments, it means he's paid $220,000 per unit. Mm -hmm. That's what he's paying for his apartment. So when you start crunching the numbers, he claims to be at 80% vacancy. So if we take his number of units, 7,722 mm -hmm. divided by so right now, he said, did he say, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I understood what you just said properly. Did you say 80% um, no, tenancy he, he, or vacan vacancy? Like, he, like said, he, he said he's at 88%, 88 occup occupancy. occupancy. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, so he's got somewhere around 700 empty apartment units. Now, Grant's also said his sweet spot is he doesn't want to rent apartments for under $800. 
He doesn't want to get into Section 8. Okay. He doesn't want to go over 1500 and get into really expensive apartments. He wants mm. his, his sweet spot is like maybe 900 to 1200 in rent. Interesting. Okay. State, states that are warm nine months of the year, right? Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah. Where are these properties? Are they mainly Florida or are they around in different states? Uh, Florida, Georgia, Texas. Okay. So, okay. You know, the, the, the Sun Belt. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the Sun Belt. Okay. So if he has 77, uh, 22 apartments and we just take out 700 to get to his, you know, relative, he's running out 7,000 apartments if we deduct his vacant apartments. Okay. And let's say he's getting $1,200 a month. His cash flow is $8,426, uh, $8,400,000, 8.4 million, call it that, right? Mm-hmm. He's bringing Every in month, eight, that's what he should be bringing in. Eight point four million. Now yeah. we deduct we deduct from that the four point five million he has to pay on debt load, and we get uh, three point nine million. Income. So here, well, th- no, that's what's left to pay investors, accumulate money reserves, right? Okay, okay, service so, the investors, etc. Got it. Yeah, Grant's argument is debt is good if it makes you money. So if you can borrow a billion, if you can borrow a billion dollars and make a couple million a month, that's all good. But what happens on uh, what happens when his uh, loan balloons, when he goes from paying interest only to having to pay on the uh, one billion dollars, mm-hmm. the number jumps to eighteen million dollars a month. <gasps> <laughs> that's an awful lot of money yeah let's see this go one followed by nine zeros one two three four five six seven eight nine and that's five years because he's paid five years of interest only right yep so at 3.75 percent yeah 18.3 million dollars jesus so he's in big trouble at year five so he yeah. has to buy more apartments to get more cash flow, which is why he said he's going from 8,000 units to 20,000 or to 28,000 units. Mm-hmm. But at paying $220,000 per unit, that's $4.4 billion. So he, he, he's always got to, he's always has to state some part interest only mm-hmm. that makes it affordable. So if he takes on 20,000 more units, at 1200 his rents go up and the other ones he can sell off if they balloon if he can't make that 8.18 million dollars and and we're kind of i'm skimming the surface there's other people on youtube out there loan experts who should just cover this on a video and they you know we're not a hundred million dollar scientology tv network so i and we don't have slides coming in we're doing live stream <laughs> of course but um but the, so what are we so in terms of going to the numbers we've we've introduced so far we're talking about him being if i'm tracking this right facing a very large potential pit of liability here well sure because if he has to pay four and a half million dollars a month to services debt load which, by the way, over uh, five years is about, uh, let's take four. It's like buying a car. 
Okay, so four four point five million times sixty months of interest only. That's two hundred and seventy million dollars of investor money. Then he balloons. Now here here's what Grant's looking at with the economic crisis caused by the pandemic. Yeah, somebody just po posted as a comment: perpetual debt juggling, and that's what it sounds like to me. That's what it is. And if he goes yeah. if he if he goes to fifty percent vacancy rate, thirty five hundred units times twelve hundred. And I'm using assumptions. Uh, he's down at four thousand, uh, four million two hundred thousand a month. He can't service his. Oh, debt. he's not going to be able to service that debt at all. That's what, that's what maybe two thirds of the of the debt load. And this also another commenter also pointed out that with real estate values going down, that's going to bring the value of, you know, the mon the money he's bringing in is going to come down, but that debt's not going to go down. No, in fact, it's going to balloon. Right. So he goes on his existing one billion. It balloons to eighteen million dollars a month, which he can't pay for. He can't even come close. Right, he and he doesn't have reserves for that. No, he goes into a hole of ten million dollars a month. And look, the, it's the That's old saying: leverage on the way up, debt on the way down. He's not the first guy. He, nobody could see this coming, right? Right. Yeah, you can't predict a global pandemic. That's for sure. At least not as a as a regular real estate entrepreneur. That's not the sort of thing you're going to be paying attention to. No, but you're you, you should also look at well, what if the economy goes south? He built his model on eighty five percent occupancy. He could tolerate fifteen percent of his apartments being empty. But now, as Grant himself has said, you know we're in uncharted territory, right? Right. So, as the ability of his tenants. Um, even if 50% of them don't pay rent, can't pay rent, he can't service his monthly debt load. Now, the what would it take? I mean, kind of, kind of keeping this simple for me, because I am, I, you know, because I get very overwhelmed pretty quickly with the with numbers flying around. This is not something he's going to get out of with one or two or three good months once the pandemic's over and people are kind of chilling again. You know, it depends. No, he's not going to. Nobody is. He, yeah. He's 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 suspended his distributions or dividends for the next three months. He, which he was means offered, he, which means he's not paying those investors that monthly amount. There, no. his investors are not making anything right now because he had to pull in the flippers and go. Ah, I don't have the money to pay out. Well, yeah, he need he needs to as as he's in a he's in a uh, trap where as. Uh, rent payments go down, he still has his overhead. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. So he's suspended. And this is why it's called a high risk illiquid investment. Mm. That's what private equity is. Because mm. four things can happen when you when you when you have a private equity investment. You can get a home run. You can just knock it out of the park. He bought in, in 2015 he bought uh, properties four properties in Nashville for $63 million. Okay. 2018, he liquidates them for $91 million. Okay. That's a, that's a home run. I think it was, uh, if I'm getting my numbers right, 23 million he made in three years. September 2018, he sells. That's the same month he takes delivery of his $50 million Gulfstream 550 jet. Okay. So he liquidates this premier Nashville property, which I, and he even said he wished he didn't sell it, but but because of the balloon, 
I think he sold it because it may have ballooned. I don't know. Mm. So now so you can get out of that. You can sell it off before that happens. If it's gone up in value, sure. Right. Like his, okay. his, his national properties went up in value. I mean, that was a, that was a lot of cash he made. Wow. And he said he bought he, he bought his jet to avoid paying taxes. He's he he, he s- said that he paid fifty million dollars in cash for a jet, which a lot of people in the business world went, "Why do you why pay fifty million for a jet?" He that said seems it, an awful lot of money for a jet. I know they're expensive, but damn, it's a G five fifty. I mean, I'm just that's saying, the top I, of the that, line. Well, Jets well, don't come cheap, Chris. Okay, well, I mean, just I'll, come on. I'll just shut the fuck up. You got to be, you got to have a lot of money to buy. Look, you you can buy, there's, there's private jets. Like the Cessna has the cheapest, like it's got a million dollar jet or something. Right. And um, it's just a tiny little jet. I know it's just $55 million. He's got the, he's got the, my wife's face is exploding right now. It's like, what? But this is a top of the line jet. Uh, okay. Okay. The only the only one. thing you the only thing you go up from there is a seven thirty seven business jet or a seven fifty seven. Okay. Or if okay. you're Saudi royalty, a seven forty seven. So he's right there. He's just right. You know. Right. And it was a tax write off for him. Oh, big tax write off. Yeah. Right okay. for one year, second year, three. You know. So he he was able to write it off. Now, my here here's where financial planning. Mm-hmm. Hind, hindsight's twenty twenty. If he had kept that fifty million and paid some taxes, let's say he was left with forty million, right? Right now he'd have ten months of reserve on this monthly debt service, right? And he said, right. "I'm not going to sell my jet, not going to sell my buildings." Well, when you go to the bank and say, "Look, I need forbearance," your bankers might say, "Forbearance," instead of foreclosure. See, Grant, you've got a. Let me see your. Let me see your finances. So you've got this $50 million jet. Ditch the jet. Sell it. If you want forbearance. Well, you know, in any corporation, uh, in a downturn, they get rid of their corporate jets. Of course. I worked for both Philips and Siemens. Yeah. And in downturns, they got rid of the jets. GE. I mean, just go down the list of Fortune 100. You get rid of jets. Sure. First asset to go. Now, conversely, in this kind of economy where the predators, the predators... Goldman Sachs just bought two new corporate jets. What does that tell you? They're getting poised to do some bargain hunting. And as one of my one of my uh, advisors told me, one of my Wall Street guys, uh, if Grant Cardone, if his apartments go south in this economy, if the value goes down, mm-hmm. he can't evict anybody. It's against the law. Okay. All okay. the all the all the people out there um, are going to be looking for bargains, and they're not going to buy if he paid sixty million for something. They're going to wait till they can get it twenty cents on the dollar. Right. They're not going to buy buy at retail. Um, so even trying to sell off in a down economy, you're lucky to get a fifth of the value. Well, look, this is capitalism. This is the this is how capitalism works. So it's like, I get Chris, it. <laughs> let's say Chris, you're. Chris, let's say you're a uh, uh, $100 million. You got a $100 million property you got to get rid of, right? Mm-hmm. You come to me because I'm a uh, private equity. I'll say, uh, I'll take it for 50. And so the bank, you ca- I, I can't sell. So the bank takes it back, right? 
Right. Bank, banks don't want to own real estate. They're going to go out shop it. Yep. And um, because they don't want they don't want tenants. They don't want thousands of tenants they can't evict. Right. So here's an interesting number that that I posted on my blog, and it's the reason. Karen and I exited the market uh, December, January. Mm. We got we got out of stocks, not because I'm smart or a guru, but because I read all the big people, a lot smarter than me, were saying there's going to be a massive correction in 2020. I got nervous. I got out of the market in 2007 because I worked in Silicon Valley. And a lot of the tech people were saying stuff's coming. So I just exited, you know, because the market works on fear, partly fear partly euphoria, uh, depending on the given day. So we exited because I, one of the things that uh, stood out to me is Bloomberg did an article saying that private equity firms who were staying out of the market had 1.5 trillion, trillion with a T, had $1.5 trillion in money sitting there waiting for the correction. So a lot of the smart money people knew there was going to be a correction. They were pulling back going, it's been too many years, too long. Something's going to adjust. I'm and pulling we, back, basically. And we, we want to amass cash. Okay. I think Warren, Warren Buffett has over $100, million, $100 billion in cash. Jesus. Saying Grant Cardone's whole philosophy is cash is trash. Yeah. See, he yeah, was see, going on and on to Jordan Belfort about this. You know, cash is trash. You know, <laughs> it was like, really? yeah, ca- ca- cash is trash, except he wants all the, he wants all your cash mm-hmm. and right that. now, right now he could use a lot of that, that, well, he's saying, he's saying the money in the bank won't do you any good. He does this Scientology thing, Chris, there's a term in Scientology called you, your PTS to the middle class. Now just yes. explain what, yes. what that means. Okay. So PTS middle class is something Hubbard put forward in the in the uh, I think late seventies or early eighties, and it was the idea that you could be basically brainwashed into thinking that you know having the house and the picket fence and the two cars and the and the, the you know the wife and the kids that that whole image and cops and the structure of society and all of that, which Hubbard was really not really very down with. Uh, was a mental place you could get to where you were sort of brainwashed into this. And, and being PTS to the middle class means that the highest thing you could possibly, you know, the highest goal you could think of is to have that setup, this nice, secure, safe setup, and everything's taken care of, and isn't this all very nice? And and Scientologists hate this. They, they, they rail against this constantly because they think the status quo is you know, this sort of implanted idea that we all grow up with and are stuck with and and we should be thinking beyond that or thinking, be, you know, outside the box of that. So, and Grant kind of really epitomizes that, you know, with his, well, you know, thing. So, well, well, yeah, yeah. Grant attacks the idea of security. He's saying, he, he has attacked people for saying, you want to get comfortable with the equity in your house and you want to, you know, build up a nest egg in the bank. It's not yeah. doing you any good. So he attacks, don't leave money in the bank. It doesn't do you any good. Put it to work. Right. Don't have a nest egg. Don't have reserves. Don't own a house. Why do you need equity? And right. and yet, if you invested 100000 with Cardone Capital and you got back 6000 a year, that's lousy. If you're really an, an, a good entrepreneur and you know how to buy and flip, sell, move money, you'll make... You could even do hard money loans at 10%, 12%, you know, uh, secured against construction. Um if you're only making six thousand a year on a hundred grand, I 
I could do better than that. And I, I do do better than that. And it's through stocks, buy, sell, all, all kinds of stuff. There's plenty of good YouTubers, uh, even flipping houses. Like uh, uh, I think Kevin, uh, meet, meet Kevin, a guy on the YouTube name, Meet Kevin. You should just type in Meet Kevin, Grant Cardona, watch Kevin discuss how Grant, um, Grant works as a syndicate. By the way, Grant Cardone sued Meet Kevin. Oh. Emotional harassment. Grant, uh, That's Meet right. Kevin pulled this PR stunt where he went into Grant's offices and handed out a poinsettia plants. And anyway, there was a lawsuit. Now, Meet Kevin, the reason Grant sued you was to force you to spend money in Florida, hire a lawyer. Chris, what does L. Ron Hubbard say about lawsuits? Uh, the, you mean the ones about how you can use them to harass people and yeah, the it, law is a tool be, that is great for harassing and annoying people and making them spend all their money and waste all their time and spend their wheels? Do you mean right? that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just just for me, just for me, Kevin, I want to say, Kevin, what L. L Ron Hubbard said is the purpose of the lawsuit is not to win, but to harass and if possible, bankrupt somebody. That's right. And. Grant sued you just to harass you because he's the big rich guy who can afford to spend you broke. That's right. And that and, is Scientology policy. Let's be clear. This isn't yeah. just some advice he got from David Miscavige no. one day at lunch. Hubbard wrote in policies that Scientology has been applying for decades that the law can be used to harass and it should be. And this is the yeah. and and uh, what do they call that when you um when you're when you're when you're suing people and they and the court knows it's bullshit. Oh, if you do it too much, you're a vexatious litigant. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, Scientology is definitely that, and Grant's well, following in their tradition. So, so <laughs> Grant was operating off L. Ron Hubbard policy. Now, Grant's terms to meet Kevin, who didn't back down, and I really salute Kevin for not backing down. Yeah. Grant wanted uh, Kevin to take down all his videos about Grant Cardone. And I thought Grant Cardone, you thin-skinned son of a bitch. Yep. Here, you want to be Mr. Social Media. It's hot out here. That's right. And it's, it's not haters, Mr. Cardone. It's just critics, people who don't agree with you, people who don't think you're wonderful, That's people right. who wonder about your investment structure. Because when your, your billion dollars balloons into 18 million a month, what are you going to do? You think if you buy another 20,000 apartments, you're going to have to raise 4.4 billion you can't hold your big events anymore. And that's how he raised a lot of money last time was the Marlin Stadium. He filled it up with 35,000 people, hired people like Steve Harvey, Snoop Dogg. That's right. His uh, event Kevin business. Hart. Yep. Yeah. To make yep. personal appearances. So that's that's gone south. The post-pandemic reality is these big events will go away. So Cardone is not the only guy out buying apartments. I mean, he's not the only guy in the world doing this. There's plenty of other people, companies doing this, right? Right. Your earlier commenter saying this was debt juggling, that's what it is. Right. And now right. he's hit, He's hit. this is like the perfect storm. Yeah, because he's, he's sort of, it's sort of like if you could, I, I, I tell me if I have this right. My concept of this is like a juggler 
except that you're sort of juggling things forward somehow. Instead, you know how they do the circle sort of this way, but instead you're juggling them forward and then they're coming back and you got to pay it. And the next one comes forward. The next one goes out. The next one comes forward. The next one goes out. So it's kind of like you're always got things out ahead of you. And now he hit a brick wall. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you created a chart over time, as long as you can get five-year interest only and then acquire new apartments, so you would sell some at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would, so as long as you can stay ahead of the beast, that is, as long as you can generate enough cash flow to pay your monthly debt load by buying more apartments, mm-hmm. selling them, as long as you can kind of stagger the arrangement like that, mm-hmm. you can stay ahead of the debt. If you go to where half your tenants or more can't pay rent because they've been f- laid off, Grant had to lay off 80 of his 180 employees. Right. Yeah, it was 80, right? Yeah, 80. Yeah. And Somebody um, mentioned earlier 44%, I guess that comes out too. Yeah, he had to lay them off. Look, he's not alone. Uh, yeah. He had, a lot of people have been laid off. Yeah. Tons. And uh, so a couple of things will happen with his apartments. Uh, first of all, Grant needing cash, that c- trash, he offered his tenants, if they paid him 12 months uh, rent ahead of time, he'd give them uh, 15 months credit. Right. Give he had three and six free. months programs. And that's an effort to get the cash that he's been eschewing. Yeah, but see, here's the problem. 1,200 a month times 12 is 14,400. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely his tenants had it. Oh, yeah. That's and, like and, that's and, like asking us to pay 12 months of rent in advance. We'd be like, what? For three, what well, here, here's, about, you know? here's the thing a smart a smart tenant would do. Here's what I would do. Tell the people, all of Cardone's tenants and every other tenant. I'd say, you know what? I don't like your offer. Why don't you just cut my rent to 800 and I'll stay? You know, Cut if not, not, I'll just stay here because you can't evict me. And so Grant Grant turned that around saying, he, he threatened his tenants. He's saying, you know what? If you get an eviction, it harms your credit and that'll harm you for years and years and years to come. Well, in a post-pandemic world, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition for tenants, for the people that have it, okay? The fact that you got laid off and there's a pandemic uh, I think a lot of landlords just say, look, you before the pandemic, your credit was good. Mm-hmm. So that threat I didn't like on Grant's part. It's like Grant said, yeah, when someone calls you up and said, hey, was so-and-so a good guy? I'm going to say, no, he didn't pay his rent. You know what, Grant? That's not going to – there's people, if they get back employed and they had good credit history before the pandemic, I would rent to them. Well, exactly, and- of course. So, so it's foolish to throw away 14,400 in cash. You should keep it as reserve, move to a cheaper place, move in with family, do whatever you have to to survive, but keep your cash. Don't give it to Grant Cardone because I'm telling you 15 months from now, the rents are going to go down. That's just a function of competition. And there'll be a shakeout. Uh, Grant can argue all he wants that, that, uh, apartments will you know survive this like they survived the depression because people have to have a place to live mm-hmm. well that's true but what he's not talking about is rents won't rent competition among uh apartment owners will be pretty intense because the thing grant's not saying is there's plenty of other apartment owners who want to fill their buildings at your expense exactly. that's just free, that's just the free market grant and um 
so he's sweating it out and and he's been erratic in his um you know his videos my impression of his videos is he's been erratic there's mm -hmm. times where he act like this is the worst thing that ever is going to happen then he's saying we're going to handle it no matter what he's been up and down yeah, a lot of, of mood swings a lot of almost, yeah. almost manic in a way i'm not i'm not trying to diagnose the guy i'm just describing no. the behavior i'm not i'm this is not a psychiatric diagnosis no that's what we said in our other, other interview we're not psychiatrists grant yeah. so we're not we, we can't offer diagnosis we can just uh, offer observations of research we've conducted as did mr hubbard what we're saying <laughs> what we're what chris and i are saying mr cardone is is these are just uh, uh records of our observations we have made that seem to be true for us yes exactly i was about i was about to say but but grant <laughs> what's true for you is true okay so yeah and what's true for grant is he's got a whole bunch of problems that he can't ot8 away Exactly. You can't Scientology postulate them away. And and really, Chris, the, uh, in the larger scene, the pandemic, the horror of it has really showed the powerlessness of Scientology. That's for I'm, sure. That's for sure. You know, you go back to 1950 with L. Ron Hubbard saying that uh, Dianetics would make the you know make the blind see again and the lame walk and take care of all psychosomatic illnesses cure leukemia it, cure cancer it was ridiculous clears wouldn't even get colds you're only hours away from not needing your eyeglasses all, all that's been swept aside right. so so switching gears scientology the best response it has is to go put decon 7 on its facilities to clean its facilities and I'm going to get your opinion to this, Chris. Yeah. Mike Render and others have made the point that because of social distancing and not meeting, that Scientologists who are at home quarantined as we are will have time to go on the internet and question. That's right. How bad do you think the pandemic is for Scientology as an organization? What do you think are the long-term, short and long-term? Bad. Short-term, super bad. Long-term, We'll see, because it kind of depends a little bit on how long this goes for. But constant, I, I'm going to make the point for sure that a, that indoctrination at the level where Scientology is at requires constant refeeding, re, you know, reassurance. You have to keep feeding that belief system or it starts dissipating as life starts hitting person with, you know, with the person with things that just show up that what Scientology is saying or asserting or what Hubbard wrote just isn't true, you know, and, and you can cognitive dissonance your way through that if you're attending classes on a weekly basis or getting your auditing fix every couple of weeks, right? Then, okay, good. You can kind of keep it going. You can sort of keep the indoctrination going, but months, you know, weeks is not a big deal. Obviously, days is not a big deal. But if it starts turning into months of being away from the org, being away from the events that David Miscavige does, this is why he does them seven or eight times a year. It's to feed his ego, but it's also to keep everybody, you know, yeah, in, in that's the fold. that reinforcement. Yeah, that's right. So this is not this is not a make break. It's not like you know every Scientologist is suddenly going to wake up in three months. It's it's different for every single person. But this kind of thing is just horrible for them and for their entire model because they now have to have everybody at home doing these extension courses, which basically means reading their books and writing little essays or or answers to tests. 
but that's not the same level that was when you no. go into the church and um so it's gonna it's gonna have a debilitating effect on them scientology their entire model requires that it be a one-on-one yeah an intense in interpersonal yeah that's an in-person thing so that's that's yeah. a great point yeah. you know and and now going back to this uh changing gears going back to the theme that grant cardone is operating as a Scientologist. Yeah, he put on a he put on a two and a half uh, hour webinar last week, mm-hmm. and the bottom line was buy my hundred ninety five dollar course. Somebody mentioned that in the comments. Yeah. I was going to ask you about and, that. Yeah, yeah, and and what I wanted to say here are the things Grant tells us to get rid of, and you can tell us why this is Scientology. Sure. <laughs> now, now here's the things Grant wants you to get rid of margins so cut your margins right mm-hmm. pricing just rework your pricing non-core products idealism new ideas excuses friends free time underperformers expenses old things people you can't support retirement accounts stocks he's saying get rid of all this stuff things to get rid of that's someone did a screenshot on his webinar oh. i'm gonna put it up at my scientology money project Wow. Now, what is this called in Scientology? What is this called? <laughs> this What's he called... doing? Give, give <laughs> our audience the secret. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so what we're talking about here is something called a state of emergency. Um, this is an ethics thing in Scientology. For those of you, uh, and I won't belabor this, but for those of you who have heard about the C organization and when they come in and start kicking ass, this is what they're doing. And by kicking ass, I mean in a harsh, horrible, abusive way. I don't mean in a good way. Um, you know, the Sea Org or Scientology will direct their organizations or individuals to um, basically do these states of emergency. When, when things are falling statistics, bad indicators, we get, you know, uh, basically we put the place very nearly. I'm reading from a Hubbard quote right now about the state of emergency. Quote, Put the place very nearly under martial law. We call this a state of emergency. Once emergency is declared, you usually have to put a head or two on a pike to convince people that you mean it. Yikes. Yeah. After that, necessity level rises and the place straightens up. If an emergency is continued beyond a reasonable time, we resort to very heavy discipline and I will leave it to your imagination for now, but I can give you some examples if you'd like later. Uh, and, you know, start trashing executives, etc. So there's a whole series of things here as to the rules that fall into place when a state of emergency is declared. But basically, martial law pretty much describes it. And it's a, it's, I've been in many of them um, when I was a Scientologist as a Sea Org member. It is awful. It is tense. You're walking on eggshells the whole time. You can get in trouble. You know how Scientology has their reporting system sure. where one, one, it is a snitch culture where one Scientologist will report on another Scientologist in writing when they see them doing things that are against the rules. Well, right. normally within Scientology, five reports have to accumulate before an ethics person will take action in a state of emergency, one report and you're toast. Just so one. really people who are working for Cardone, they're they're being managed really hourly by stats, stats, stats. Yes. And, if, the, and if he's got this, collect that's, the rents. 
That's right. And a state of emergency means that you are a hair trigger away from losing your job if you don't get things going. And I mean now. And it's probably a lot of, you know, uh, uh, veins sticking out of temples, a lot of red faces, a lot of a lot of yelling and screaming is what tends to go on in these kinds of things. And I, knowing Grant and how he is, I don't think he is. Uh, I don't think it's anybody's having a fun time under him right now. Yeah, and I want to give you uh, an example. And and for people who may not have uh, uh, don't know my background, I spent thirty years in corporate sales, and uh, so Western Regional Manager. Uh, VP for a, uh, a firm up in Silicon Valley, small firm, but uh, 30 years, I'm a, a technical lighting expert, lasers, medical equipment. So anyway, I've been around the corporate grind. I know what a state of emergency is. The worst thing that happens, you lose your job, you get fired. You're out of here. This is a lot worse because, because you have a, a lot of Scientologists working for Cardone who are going to write knowledge reports on each other. That's right. That's niche culture is real. So if Chris and I were working for Grant, I would say, uh, I would write a knowledge report saying, Chris Shelton was showing defeatist tendencies when he didn't believe that we could handle the pandemic and that occupancy rates would go down. I'd report on your attitudes and thoughts, or you would report on me Mm -hmm. that I took an extra 15 minutes for lunch. Oh, yeah. Instead of my allotted 30 minutes, I actually stayed out 45 minutes and I made a phone call. That's right. Or if you just sat at your desk and gave a great big sigh and said, man, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. This is so fucked. Yeah. Yeah, You know, that uh, alone could get you a report. You know, I was was, uh, going through Cardone TV and this guy who works for the Cardone organization. Now, in sales, Chris, sometimes you just get shit assignments. Mm -hmm. You just get shit assignments. Like (laughs) hypothetical. I would say to you, uh, Sam, the the sales manager, right? I say, hey, Chris, uh, we're going through the warehouse and we found uh, 2,000 cassette players, Panasonic cassette players from 1988. Okay. Okay. Yep. Don't know how we lost track of them, but you need to go out and sell them right now today for $200 a piece. Yep. Yep. Like, well, I I can't. So sometimes, and I'm exaggerating, but sometimes I would get like old inventory, junk inventory, old tech stupid assignments like go move this old product mm-hmm. it's like i would i would be frantic like going to liquidators bagging and nobody wants the garbage right That's right you should just scrap it and write it off but some genius so the reason i say this is someone who my heart goes out to is a guy named jeff bounds mm. he works in the cardone automotive and he just did a video okay now car dealerships are not open right Mm-hmm. Right they're now, not they're not. I mean, I mean, I mean, people are still going to buy cars if you need one, right? Yeah, you can get one, them online. But two two weeks ago, a New York dealer who was selling thirty five cars a day was down to five cars a day. Oh and God! I think, yeah, they got to be tanked. They got to okay, be tanked. Okay, so this guy Jeff Bounds, he's right now trying to sell not cars. He's trying to sell automotive sales training to people who are selling cars. All and right. Most car salespeople are not working, but this guy's actually trying to sell car sales training to people who are probably not working and unemployed. That's a tough sell. I'm thinking this poor guy, I mean, they're going to, they're going to try to make their $1,200 a month rent 
and he's trying to get them to buy Cardone sales training. So Grant Cardone, so this is the kind of, this is the kind of tension inside the organization. I couldn't imagine having to sell car sales training to cars. And I feel bad for car salespeople, any kind of salespeople, people who, who sell anything. I, I know how bad it is. Um, so Cardone is out looking for every dime he can scrounge. Yep. He has to, he has to, he, he's created, he's created a machine that just incinerates money. That's I mean, great, the cat, the, that's a great way of putting it. Well, that's a you know great what way of putting it? Well, th- the odds are, you know, he was betting, he was betting that the economy would stay strong. Yes. People do have a place to live, but they have alternatives, you know, if, if you can't afford a $1,200 a month apartment, you can afford an $800 a month apartment, or you get roommates and, you know, two people split an $800 apartment. Three sure. people do, because you yeah. do whatever. I mean, that do. happens in Denver all the time. We, we, you know. Yeah, you're going to Silicon Valley. You, you pay $1,600 a month for a bedroom up there if you're, if you're working at one of the tech companies and you're young. So you're going to do whatever it takes to survive. Yep. Run a bedroom, maybe get an RV, live in that. There's all kinds of creative solutions in the shared economy. M- move back in with uh, your folks and, uh, or re- with relatives. So there's all kinds of things you can do. Airbnb is taking a big hit. Mm-hmm. So those, those prices might dip. Some people who are no longer doing Airbnb might run out long, a long term. So there's a, there's a lot of options. And uh, so Grant's financial model will just watch as a, as a um, business person, the next three months will be critical, absolutely critical the way the pandemic goes. Mm-hmm. Do we go back to work? Is there another outbreak in the spring? He's dealing with major amounts of uncertainty. To borrow a line from a, a comedian, Dane Cook, uh, Grant Cardone is just driven into fuckville and his bankers are the mayor. Right. <laughs> Good line. That's Dane yeah. Cook's brilliance. That is a good one. That's a good one. You know, uh, one of our Kristen G just said, "I guess he shouldn't have been lighting his cigars with hundred dollar bills." You know. Oh my God! I I I posted that on my Scientology Money Project, and this talk about hubris. Pride cometh before a fall. Man. Yeah, he's he's fanning maybe twelve one hundred dollar bills to light his cigar. Like I, I looked mean, at that dude. and I said, "You have got to be effing kidding." Yeah. You never, yeah. you never do that. You never actually burn hundred dollar bills. Nope. It, to, to me as a, um, let's say if I were, if Grant worked for me and I was chairman of the board and he did something like that, I would have fired him. Exactly. I would just fire his ass. Cause he's not thinking like when he got his jet, he, he, he got a, a lift to take him up and he straddled the back engine. Like he was riding it like a horse. Or, or I actually mm. thought of a lot of people did thought of it. You remember that picture he's sitting on the back engine of his jet out there by the tail? I, I actually I didn't see that picture. Well, there's a picture he's straddling yeah, he's, he's it. Sitting, he's sitting back on one of the one of the engines. He's either humping it or riding it like a horse. <laughs> I, I I thought more of like Doctor Strangelove. Right, that's the picture like, I got. Yeah, Woo-hoo! Grant, you, Grant, Grant, you are riding this bomb down, and it's not going <laughs> to yeah. end good for you. And that's I right. and I got to. And I got to, I want to say a, a shout out to Jordan Belfort. Jordan was so classy when he was interviewing Grant mm-hmm. and Grant got really quite difficult and stupid. 
Right from the get go, no. I thought I watched I watched that and I took some notes and I thought he was he one he wouldn't even answer the question. I mean, he, no. Jordan repeated. Well, when do you, he was trying to get a straight answer out of when do you, you know, shit or get off the pot on the sale on that individual yeah. sale you're on? It was a simple question, and he wouldn't answer it. No, and Grant you know? was trying to engage in some he, weird Scientology OT one-upsmanship with the Wolf of yeah, Wall Yeah, exactly. And he kept like, talking. He kept talking marketing, and I thought it was really smart when Jordan said, "So you're kind of more on the marketing." Like he kept looking for where's this guy coming from that I can talk to him and Grant just kept pushing back and pushing back and it was yeah, he, really weird he it wound was, up looking yeah. he, he Grant wound up looking stupid he's no match for the Wolf of Wall Street okay intellectually he 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 just doesn't have Jordan Belfort's horsepower okay yeah when they make a movie about you sir and and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays you you're a cultural icon so what and, and, you know, Jordan went to jail, right? Uh, yes, he did. He, he, he served some time for conning his investors. And, and yes. he talks about it. He had a drug problem. So what does Grant do? Uh, maybe a week or two later, he trashes Jordan saying, well, he screwed his investors and he had to go to jail. It's oh, like, he did. He trashed him. He tra yeah, after, Grant tra after being on his show. Yeah, he trashed him. Oh, that, I that thought, what, so a, what a Jesus. what a low low class thin skin. Come, Come on, on, dude. Grant and and so uh uh who's the crybaby Grant, right? Right. Um now, Chris, one one weird part about the Jordan Belford interview and, and like I said Jordan showed a great deal of uh uh decorum, mm -hmm. which I liked. Yep. And um so being in sales when someone has no interest, that's hard to deal with. That is just hard yes. to deal with. Okay, now, yes, and that whole no so, interest thing was, was okay, so, coming across so, really weird. So Grant, Grant, Grant says, well, no interest is still a level of interest. Yep. And it just bonk. But now, can you explain from the Scientology perspective where Grant was coming from and what he meant? Because that was a WTF moment. Like, it, what are yes, you talking it, about? It completely was. And and I do know where he was coming from. And it was so interesting watching it because it doesn't make any sense. But I actually used to think in a way that it that it would try to make it make sense. And let me and I'll, and I'll explain that here. Hubbard would include zero on his scales. Hubbard wrote hundreds of scales and, and graduated, you know, levels of things. And he and he and it like the very first level of Scientology counseling training you do is called level zero, not level one. You start at zero and you move up from there. And a lot of his scales include that. So like on the scale of of, of emotion, zero is body death. So you go, well, death isn't any kind of emotion. Oh, no, it is, because it's on the scale, see? It's at zero, see? So that's where it is, see? That's like, okay, so now body death, complete lack of any emotion whatsoever is actually an emotion, see? So and I had to listen to him for a while to kind of figure out, what's he talking? Oh, that's what he's talking about. So you have this interest scale that Hubbard creates or exists in Grant's mind, and no interest, a complete lack of interest, a vacuum of interest, is 
zero on the scale and therefore it's on the scale and therefore you know you have a cycle you have a sales cycle there according to grant i don't you know what uh when you're smiling and dialing i, I hate it telemarketing i didn't do very many i i i was uh uh i didn't do telemarketing okay i, I had to occasionally i'd have to smile and dial and call people like but uh i was all with with uh jordan because when someone has no interest you get them off the line Jordan was talking about how salespeople go on and they talk and they're off on Pluto wasting time. Yep. Yep. No, when there's no interest, you cut and move. Okay. Yep. So like when I was on a, like when I'd be with a client who wouldn't have any interest in our product, thank him for his time and get out, go to the next call. Right. I don't, you, you can't, you can't create interest out of no interest. Right. And you leave and, them your. Oh, well, and here's the thing. Hubbard actually yeah. created a scale to create interest where none exists. And Grant wouldn't actually go there, but that's what he was sort of getting into a little bit. Is there is Hubbard in the early 60s actually came up with this this pre what he called a prehab scale and you and there were things you could do to get a person up to interest. Like interest would be at the top of the scale. And this was in regards to getting people interested in Scientology. So this is why Hubbard developed this. Grant's now using it for sales because it's the same, same thing, right? Hubbard was just trying to figure out sales. Hubbard wasn't very good at it either. But this is the kind of – and this is the kind of crap he came up with. You know, the reason Scientology sold wasn't because Hubbard knew how to sell stuff. Hubbard just knew how to spin crazy, weird, interesting-sounding things. Other people actually sold it to people, and Hubbard just went, how are they doing that? Oh, well, let me twist that around a little bit and confuse people some more. And that's where you get Grant's head, really, is where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, and, you know, some of the Scientology voodoo, it doesn't work. You know, no. like, uh, no. uh, what I would do, uh, say it was with, when I was with Philip Sliding for 10 years, uh, if they didn't have an interest in my product, these are manufacturers of sophisticated lighting devices. Mm -hmm. I'd say, here's my card. Here's my catalog. If you if you do change your mind, give me a call. Thank you for your time. Gone, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, w I wouldn't like try to spend an hour saying, well, you don't have, you say you don't have any interest, but there's got to be some interest here or I wouldn't be in your office and you're running. And it's like, they don't want to hear it. You're going to make a bad impression. You only get, you know, first impression matters. If you're polite, you, they might call you back when they need you. Right. Yep. So a couple things. I agree with Jordan Belfort that Grant is a marketeer primarily. Yes. And, and he's done very well on social media. Yep. He's done some stuff I would never do from a corporate framework, but corporations are conservative. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're aggressive. I got to tell you, if I have my back to the wall, I would rather have, and this is no offense, uh, I'd rather have corporate people backing me than Scientologists. And by oh, that, I, I, would, mean, I would say that a hundred, I'd, I'd certainly agree with you on that. The reason corporations are so large and powerful is because corporate minded people think very practically. Right. So do entrepreneurs. They think very creatively. There's often a conflict between corporation, corporate people and entrepreneurs. Because when you get entrepreneurial people in a corporation, they tend to get strangled and they leave and they go succeed on their own, right? Mm. But a corporation like Apple works because it's methodical. It has policies. It's driven to succeed. It's driven to get rid of stuff that doesn't work. And the good corporations are powerful because corporate thinking is a good, strong, organized, methodical 
way of thinking, a way of executing plans, a way of accomplishing goals, right? That's and you right. get paid money and you're incentivized if you're in sales, especially you're incentivized by bonuses to, to bring out the best, right? Right. That's why, why when GE was a, a great company, Jack, Jack Welsh did so well, right? Now, so Grant's a great marketeer, but 10X is crashing. I don't think he's a great financial guy at all. His model is so high risk that when it hit its first real existential, real world crisis, it's folding up like a lawn chair in a hurricane. Exactly. It's just, it's, you know, so these, let's just watch him for the next three months to see how he, when marketing doesn't work and it's all That's about right. cash. Well, I'll tell you, I, and it te- tell me if I'm wrong, because this is these are only impressions I have, and I and I'm not trying to be reductionist. I'm just uh, kind of observing what I'm observing and I'm relating it to my Scientology experience. Uh, and Grant is all the way at the top of the Scientology bridge. He's OT eight. There aren't any more levels he can do. Right. So he is the epitome of the successful Scientologist. That he's the he is the model of what it's supposed to look like. And it seems to me that his philosophy, this 10x thing, is all about, because I used to listen to this crap all the time when I was in Scientology, it's all about out-creating any issues or problems that you have. Like, oh, there's a problem? It's like volume is somehow the single conceptual solution to everything. And he seemed to be saying this a lot on on Jordan Belfort's show too, you know, numbers, big, get out there, lots of numbers. I think in numbers, it's a numbers game, right? And and this is why he wouldn't answer the simple question about, you know, if somebody doesn't have any interest, what do you do? It was a it was a two word answer. Move on. He could have just said that, but instead he spent twenty minutes screwing around with yeah. it. You know, yeah. And I I just wanted to I just wanted to relate this back to Scientology because there's a basic principle in Scientology which I think collapses at times like this and that is make it go right oh right scientology's entire principle of of expansion and working things out and making you know big things happen is all this is all is all predicated on this thing called the supreme test which is your ability to make it go right and this is very the spirit of this is not so go to college and figure out what to do or go you know go figure out what to do and then do it it's no you just go do it and it's somehow it'll all glow out to be right it'll all just work out because your intention is the senior thing to anything else and this is this is all it seems like every one of Grant's little thought stopping cliches and and mottos and mantras and all of it are are built on this principle of you don't really have to know what you're doing. You just have to energetically get out there and 10x everything in your life and don't accept failure, don't allow any excuses. You know, blah, 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 right? You know, make it, it don't, don't you feel you know, adrenalized right now, no. that's all you need. And I, yeah. and I wanted to throw that out there because I thought, am I seeing this right? Because that's what it looks like to me. It is. And, and Chris, I just want, just, I just want to add this. Yep. I don't want to see Grant Cardone fail. Why? Because I don't want his investors to get hurt. Good. Yeah. What I would do 
what I'd recommend to Grant, if he cares to listen, the first thing you do is you hire people who are a lot smarter than you. You hire some crisis managers who've been through 2008. Yep. You pay some people who are a lot bigger and smarter than you about money management, cash flow, negotiating with banks. You hire some experts. That's right. And you pay them a lot of money to help you out and you listen to them. You right. stop melting down on social media. He's doing too much information. And the first thing I saw as a corporate guy, when I, when I started hearing him talk about his numbers and debt load, how much he owes, it's like, Grant, no, you keep your corporate stuff in-house. Grant Cardone is like L. Ron Hubbard in that Hubbard wrote some really stupid, stupid stuff. Nobody was around to say, Ron, don't issue this. Don't write this. Don't put this policy letter out about putting heads on pikes. Don't put this thing out about how uh, a Bolivian dictator uh, drowned all the lepers in uh, right. Bolivia and thereby put an end to leprosy. Right. Like, talk, don't talk about genocidal stuff. Don't, every thought that pops into your head, don't do it. And this is maybe part of where Grant is trapped. Instead of like hiring some experts and going into a very disciplined message that we are managing through this crisis, we want to protect our investors. He's too frantic, but right. he's addicted to social media. He wants to be a social media superstar, That's right? right? And this is not the time to be a social media superstar. It's the time to be a goddamn CEO. Exactly. And, and he's doing some of the right things like suspending distributions. I can understand to protect the investors. You do cut off distributions. Investors know there's risks, right? Yep. So I, I don't want to see Grant fail because I don't want to see his investors lose their money. And so yeah, he, and it's a real shame because they they can't really pull out at this point. No, there's no withdrawals allowed. Yeah, that's that's when you invest. You he locks your money up for seven to ten years. Yeah, so and they're they're in for the ride. Well, well I, like I said, I I just he he needs people smarter than him and his team. He has to go outside of the minds of his mindset to get larger larger perspective from from people who really know how to crunch numbers and work these kind of situations. Do you think with, with, because you're clearly more experienced with him than I am on, on some of this stuff and you've watched him for, for longer. Do you think he's the kind of person who can take that kind of advice who would seek it out in the first place? Cause he seems very, like I said, I don't want to get all like psychiatry on the guy, but He's very egotistical, you know. He's he seems very much the biggest guy in the room all the time, and I I don't know if he has the 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 temperament or fortitude to 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 eat humble pie. I don't know. What do you think? Because he claims he sort of he sort of humble brags about it, but it but I don't know that that's really who he is. Well, he he says he reads a lot of books, right? Yeah, he probably does read books. Um, a lot of the, a lot of, to answer your question, yeah, a lot of the pressure on him is going to come from external sources like his his uh, bankers, yeah. people he owes money to, large sums yeah. of money to. They're going to exert external pressures on him. He may not like it, but when you owe someone a lot of money, they can dictate terms. They can mm -hmm. foreclose on you, 
They can dictate terms. They can do all kinds of stuff because they have the power over you. Yep. And if his occupancy rate drops down and his rent collections drop down and he can't meet his monthly note, you go into foreclosure. He may not get forbearance. And frankly, no one's required to bail him out. So he, 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 as the, as the property manager, property owner, basically he's totally exposed right now. Is that? Yeah. You know, what, 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 to answer your question, his, his ego might not like what his creditors are telling him he has to do. Mm-hmm. Normally, if you owe me $500 million, I get to dictate terms about what you're going to do if you want, if you hope to hang on to your apartments, whether right. you like it or not. So for the first time, he's not in control of his own destiny. Right. Corporate austerity dictates, sell the jet. What other properties short term can you move or sell? He's saying that no one's buying or selling, but that's not true. You can do if you have cash like the private equity people that 1.5 trillion. Yeah, you can do a, a transaction. You can make a deal because you don't you don't need a bank. If you got if you're if you have a, a 200 billion dollars in your equity fund or 100 billion, you don't need a bank. You can just write a check and buy some apartments. Yeah, of course. It'll be, so it'll be interesting to see what he's in is crisis management. He's also in an, an existential threat. And you can see it. You can see the wear on him. I feel for him. You can yep. see the wear on the guy. What he's taken on has gone wrong. Right. And it's like I said, in, in, in uh, his kind of work, you can hit a home run as he did in Nashville. You can meet your expectation. You can meet your target. Say plus or minus 10%. You're good, right? You could mm-hmm. lose half your investment or you could lose everything. So he's looking at losing everything. Yeah, he is. And this Man. is where, this is why getting top of the line experts and paying them a lot of money is worth it. This is why bringing in, and, and I hope he brings in a lot smarter people. I don't know what his outside team is. I don't know if he has a board of directors and I don't know how he came up with his formula of what, what your one poster said, debt juggling. <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what Scientology would tell him to do, what, what the church if he's getting advice from uh, well, I'll David Miscavige. I'll tell you, they really are. They're even in less of an educated or informed position to advise him on anything. I mean, nobody in Scientology really is tracking. The, I'm talking about the staff or the Sea Org now. I'm not talking no. about public Scientologists. Staff members, Sea Org members, people who are going to be dealing with Grant, they don't understand any of this stuff. And so, you know, he could tell them what's happening and try to explain it. Well, it'll all be from his point of view. And they'll be trying to deal with that. Um, you know, the, the, the Church of Scientology is mainly interested in money first <laughs> and people second. Yeah. You know, and he's in the – I'm a little concerned about him, actually. Um, and I say this compassionately. I actually am a little concerned about him because his – you know, emotions seem on such a razor's edge right now, and he's at flag in Clearwater. Now, what does it mean when you're at flag in Clearwater? You're, you're, at, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah. He that means he's um, and he's under quarantine, right? So he's so he's paying the Church of Scientology money to to be in this room and be in this place, and and he's going to get whatever services he's going to get. Um, but if he starts exhibiting unstable behavior, like emotional or psychologically un- unstable behavior, then 
you know, that moves in the direction of Scientology applying a particular set of of processes or 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 procedures to him, which which could result in him getting what's called an introspection rundown. Hmm. This is a very complicated thing. I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but but I will say that back in the late 1990s, uh, mid mid 1990s, a woman named Lisa McPherson, who can be Googled, who's been it, all the details of the story are out there. This is not like weird, hard to find stuff. She died under the Church of Scientology's care while going through the preparatory actions to get this introspection rundown. She had had a psychotic episode. She was not eating. She was not coherent. She was babbling. They took her into a room. They kept her isolated. They didn't talk to her. They didn't give her you know, the care that she actually needed until it was too late, and she literally died on the way to the hospital. I don't. I would not want to see anything like that happen to Grant. I don't want to see anything like that happen to anybody. No, and but, I think that Grant has a much. Do. I think Grant, unlike Lisa McPherson, Grant has a much stronger support team around him. True. He, his very wife true. Is, he, his wife is very strong. Yes. He has children. He has a team. Yep. He has every benefit that Lisa McPherson, God rest her soul, did not. So, but but having said that. When you're under that kind of pressure yep. to keep 7,722 apartments, to keep money coming in, his main focus is going to be what it's always been, I predict, using social media to raise as much money as possible in as short a time as possible. So, and if we follow, and, I, and I'll, I'll send this, I'll email it to you, you can post it on your show notes. I'm going to post it on my blog. Yeah. If he's telling people to get rid of their retirement accounts and stocks to keep him afloat, me as an investor would be no, Grant. This is not my problem. I'm I, I if I am if I lose my hundred thousand dollars, I lose it. But I'm not going to burn my retirement account, home equity, my stocks, my retirement fund to keep your you afloat. The solvency of Cardone Capital is your goddamn business. It's not mine. I don't have to go broke for you. I can write this investment off as a loss if it comes to that. I don't want to, but I am not burning any more money with you. You exactly. know? So, and he's probably getting advice. If he's getting any kind of advice right now, by the way, from Scientology, it's going to be advice along those lines. Yeah. Because it's going to be all about, you know, well, that you know, you need to take responsibility and you need to, you know, He's trying to solve this problem the same way he promotes everything else, which is somehow out-create it, out-promote it, numbers, you know, 10x, and, and and it's just not the right solution right now. But when you're a one-trick pony, mm. it's all you got. And, and I think he's that. Yeah, and I was telling one of my friends, um, the pandemic, the COVID-19 virus being part of nature doesn't care about the economy that's right it has it has no no relationship to the economy to the human economy whatsoever and um in the original formulation that Elrond hubbard created the operating thetan the ot was able to come to cause over matter energy space and time Mm -hmm. and that's just not happening there's no way it's happening because COVID-19 doesn't respond to the Bible, the Quran, Scientology, Christian nope. science. Go doesn't down the list. Of all, doesn't, right. 
Doesn't care about your prayers. Doesn't care about your postulates. No. Doesn't care about any of it. Nope. Nope. It's going to do what it's going to do. So, so we'll watch, you know, let's just watch, watch what Grant Cardone does. Yeah. Let's just see what happens and, here. And, and uh, it is an interesting story of Scientology. Huge debt. Yeah. A pandemic. There's yeah. so many human interest elements in it. But again, I'll just end where I leave. I, I, I hope he gets through it so that his investors are protected because those people are hardworking, decent people who put in money for return on their investment. Okay. So I hope they come out. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I actually do too. I will say one last thing that I want, that I, that I noted, um, in the, uh, in the interview, actually, I think it was with Jordan. It might've been a different video, but I think it was that one, um, where Grant spent a little bit of time talking about how 2010 was his, big moment when he went from small time to big time when he started like you know and he and he talks about you know entrepreneurs needing to you know take risks and things like this but he also went on a whole roll about how the housing market crash and everything really tanked him and how he was going to set things up in the future so that that never ever happened to him again and here we are 10 years later and the exact same thing is happening to him again. And he's just, he's caught with his pants down just as much. Yeah. And I have to question, like, dude, like, did you, was that all just more marketing? You know, because I don't think you really learned a thing in 2010. Except how to play this one trick yeah. for all it's worth, you know. And I think that's really sad. Yeah, it is. Well, it was great talking to you, Chris. We'll check back in. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for doing this. Weeks. Yeah, enjoyed absolutely. it. Absolutely. And folks out there, thank you very much for your comments and everything. This has been great. I have been kind of keeping my eye sort of on the comments. Melissa's been doing – get over here, you. Get your face over here again. There you are. This is my wonderful <laughs> wife, and she has been doing a wonderful moderation uh, on this whole thing. So – Anyway, we, we, there's a little delay, so we can't even see if her face ever gets in the screen here. But nice I want to – yes, thank you very much, baby. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. she's awesome. And uh, and anyway, thanks, guys, for, for coming around and watching this. We had a great time. And we are going to end now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.